Welcome to the We Need to Talk About Whiteness podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Francois, and to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. This is a space where we explore the meaning of whiteness in the context of conversations around race and racism, and as the structure pertains to different areas of our lives. Why whiteness? Well, very simply, because as someone racialized as white myself, I want to explore the meaning and impact of whiteness at our current juncture. What does whiteness mean and does it matter? Every episode, I'm joined by a guest who offers unique insights into these questions and many more. Now, today I'm joined by a woman who has been struck by the worst tragedy any parent can face, the loss of a child. In 2013, Rosamund Adukisa Deborah's nine-year-old daughter, Ella Roberta, experienced a series of very severe asthma attacks, which ultimately cost her her life. An inquest in 2020, the second following campaigning from her mother, found that pollution from the South Circular Road in London was a contributing factor to Ella's death. Ella and her family lived just 25 metres from South Circular Road in Lewisham, South East London, where levels of nitrogen dioxide air pollution from traffic constantly exceeded the annual legal limit between 2006 and 2010. In what is a landmark case, the coroner said the failure to reduce pollution levels to legal limits was indeed a factor in Ella's death, something her mother had long suspected. Ella is now the first person in the world to have air pollution listed as a cause of death on her death certificate. Rosamond is a Breathe Life ambassador and founder of the Ella Roberta Family Foundation based in London. She's also a teacher in schools and lecturer at universities and an honorary fellow of the British Science Association. In 2021, she was named among You Magazine's 21 Most Extraordinary Women of the Year, British Vogue's 25 Extraordinary Women of 2021, The Times Green Power List 2021, and BBC Radio 4's Women's Hour Power List 2020. Rosamond, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank um, you so much for having me. I was listening to all those... <laughs> it's, it is so strange to listen to them when someone reads them out. I think I'll take the honorary fellowship and you can probably know why. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And and of course, we've, we've met in the past and I know how long you've been campaigning on this and how much work you've done over the years. So I'm really honoured to be able to have this conversation with you today. Um, we've just ushered in 2022. It was COP just a few months ago, which I know you attended. How much has changed since that landmark ruling listing air pollution as a cause of death? I think what has changed is I now don't have to see every now and then someone arguing, especially when you talk about the world figure of seven million people dying every year. And I used to hear comments that, well, how comes nobody has ever had it on their death certificate then? So all that has ceased to stop, which is um, which is quite nice for me because you, you, you can imagine reading things like that constantly. So all that has all that has stopped. Um, it has made me more visible, I guess. And I think maybe 
some people take me more seriously, although my students would be quite surprised by that, that really, it took that verdict, really. Um, (laughs) But yeah, but apart from that, life remains the same. Still a mum, still still have my sense of humour, still live in Lewisham. So yeah, apart from that, yeah, it's just that I speak to bigger audiences now um, and different type of audiences. And it's a nice thing to... um, to have and I think it also as a family gave us a sense of peace and I think um other siblings were five when she passed away so as they were growing up they always had questions I mean we all know we all knew how severe her asthma was that wasn't in question but the question of what triggered it was what needed to be answered and not only did it contribute to her death on the final night the coroner said it also is what started the asthma in in the first place so if it wasn't for the air pollution she wouldn't even have had asthma in in the first place so it was a significant factor and and when you attend cop and other such environmental summits because i know you go to a lot of these you're invited to a lot of these do you feel that there is a sense of urgency around this issue? Are people really taking this as seriously as they should? No, of course they're not. Mm. This is the public health crisis. And when you say a crisis or a public health emergency is what I call it, the action is woeful. So COP ended up being boiled down to, let's be honest, about fossil fuels between phasing out and phasing down. So all all those weeks boil down to those two terms. They're not taking it seriously at all. I mean, it's a shame. I don't think, I think most of the work which I do now, they won't take it on board until I have gone, really. That's how much they're not taking it seriously. Everything I do will probably be for the future generation. They are nowhere ready to accept the public health crisis. Um, The climate crisis is a public health crisis. And when India said it's going to take them 50 years to phase out coal, you know what I mean by that. So I'm not being pedantic or or anything, but 50 years time, I would need to be, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean by that. So a lot of the work, but it's good for the future, you know, the, the generations coming up. And you know, young people are the future, so it is only right we start now. But they're not serious about it. I I actually wish they actually were, but they are not. And because of that, that's why WHO have had to introduce new guidelines in 2021, because under the old guidelines, 7 million people were still dying every year prematurely, and 500,000 of those were children under the age of five. So where is the urgency? And what I mean by that is when we take COVID and we saw how they rushed the vaccine, and I'm going to clarify that. I'm not saying they jumped through hoops, but they managed, didn't they, to all get together and things that would normally take ages, like maybe applying for grants and things like that. All the countries got together. And I always say to people, the difference between COVID and air pollution is COVID shut down, COVID shuts down economies, air pollution doesn't. I mm-hmm. mean, it costs e- economies billions, but it doesn't shut it down. And what I mean by that is air pollution is a bit more subtle. It's linked to uh, lung cancer, strokes, dementia, but it's not catching uh, miscarriages, stillbirth. They're still horrific 
you know, but it's not catching like COVID and people don't have to be. I mean, obviously, if you have some of these illnesses, you will have to be off work, but but you're not transferring it onto somebody else, whereas COVID does. And they're both airborne pandemics. And what I mean by that is air pollution is everywhere, isn't it, in the world? And so is COVID. And they're both airborne aerosols. And there's an actual interlink between them. So in areas of high air pollution, there are more COVID deaths. So if you look at Wuhan, if you look at Lombardy, if you look at New York, and if you look at London, what do all these countries, um, these cities, sorry, have in common? Um, High COVID deaths. And what do they all have? Significant high air pollution as well. And Mm -hmm. again, the studies about air pollution, there will be and COVID, I think, will be, some of them haven't even been written yet because there's not enough data. So expect in the next 10 years, more and more papers to come out as we try and understand um, the relationship between COVID and something like hair pollution. And, and what about at a more local level? We're both speaking to one another from London here today. I know the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has spoken about taking a number of measures, including, you know, the largely unpopular, actually, ULES area, which is like a, a car-free zone being extended in the capital. The talk of planting, I think, is it 12,000 trees? You know, is there more being done locally or is that still well it's really difficult i sometimes think sadiq does one thing and then does another and the thing he does undo some of the goods he's done so ulays is something i support because i learned as i said to you it was the pm 2.5 and the nitrogen um the dioxide in cars which ultimately killed my daughter now what ulays does is it removes the most polluting vehicles off the the road and i'm always going to be in support of measures that um clean up the uh look people are going to say listening to this that poorer people can't afford it and things like that but then poorer people are bearing the brunt of air pollution anyway i think they're just used you know to make a point i don't think people really care about them really because they suffer the most ill health anyway and they don't own cars anyway and when people start going poor people can't afford it i think how poor are you talking about because really poor people cannot afford to run a car not not, well not anywhere if you're really poor if you're on universal credit or something like that you can't afford to run a car so when they say poor people i don't know who they are talking about so Mm. i say to people poor people can't don't even have cars because you have to do insurance, the service, the enmity. Um, poor people are struggling to put food on the table. They're worried about energy bills. I can't see them owning a car. I- I'm mm. sorry. But, and also, these newer cars, they are way out of their remit, like electric vehicles. <laughs> I would like to know if there's anyone on Universal Credit who's bought an electric vehicle. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wager not many, yes. There you are. So when they talk about poor people, but sadly, um, poor people, due to where they live, they bear the brunt and they suffer more ill health. If you look at inequality in health, um, the gap is widening between the rich and the very poor. And some of that is due to 
air pollution. I mean, it's due to diet as well and things like that. But air pollution is one of the factors as well. And so let's talk about specifically how air pollution harms us, because I think a lot of us, because you can't see the harm, I mean, you might be able to see, as a lot of us Londoners do, um, a really worrying coat of sort of black dust, uh, you know, over, you know, surfaces that are outside constantly. But most of us can't see the harm that's being done and might attribute some of the illnesses you've described to other things. I'm guessing when you turn up at the emergency room, let's say with, you know, um, a heart attack, they don't necessarily jump immediately to do you live next to, you know, the North That's Circular. a very good one you picked. So... King's College, um, mm. I think the study was in maybe 2019. They did a study that when there's a, a spike in air pollution, there's about a thousand more admissions to hospitals with cardiac arrest and asthma attack. So that was a very good one, which you picked. There's actually research out there that actually shows that. Look, the, the particular matters, they're ultra fine particles. They're so tiny. They are not even picked up by the monitors. Mm. They haven't yet developed mo monitors to measure nanoparticles wow. that are so, so tiny. They're smaller than sand. So do you see, that's how tiny they are. But with my late daughter, they actually got into her bloodstream. And air pollution literally damages every organ in the body. My clue to um, anyone is, if you can smell it and you can taste it, then it's there. So... Mm. An experiment to do will be the the underground. If you are going on a really long journey on the underground, just take some Pampers wipe with you. And when you get off it, clean your face and see what comes out of it or blow your nose. Sorry. Wow. Wow. Well, we had to go there, didn't we? Because it is a really serious issue. And I think because a lot I'm of trying to show people yeah. can't see it. That yeah. If you wipe your face or if you live on a main road, then you are used to getting these black dots on your window. So people who live on main roads, I don't need to prove to them about air pollution. They actually see it because it is on their windows. Or if you look at trees near main roads, have a look at how filthy they are or how filthy the leaves are. Sorry. Then you know what I mean. Have a look at that. Next time you're on a really busy main road and there's a tree there, have a look at the leaves on it. Mm. And so I'm, I think a lot of people listening might also be thinking, well, why, why would air pollution be something you talk about on a whiteness podcast? But there is a racial dimension to the way in which air pollution impacts different groups within society, isn't there? There is. So <laughs> this, look, air pollution is going to be no different than some of the inequalities that happen in society. And there's a disproportionate, the way it impacts. I mean, what I have said to you, I've probably mentioned a couple of times, busy roads. And I always say to people, and some people smile, I say, you won't be watching um, location, location, and see those rich people saying, I want a house on a busy road with lots of noise. There's a reason why you won't see, see that, because we all know, that if you live near a busy road, not only do you have noise, um, the pollution, you've got air pollution and you've got light pollution. We mm -hmm. also know, based on the jobs we have, determines what properties we get. Now, before COVID, the government were going to do some 
research into looking at race and payment at work to see whether there was any discrepancies in it. Then COVID happened. I dare the government to go back to that study now. And, and because there were sort of mumblings that people doing the same job were being paid differently based, I don't know whether it was based on their race, but um, mm-hmm. black, Asian and other ethnic minorities were not earning the same amount as their counterparts. What that then does is it restricts you where you can buy a property. And what we do know is the properties that are closer to the roads, they are cheaper. If you look at main roads, I'm going to go for London because that's where I live. You tend to see that's where all, let's just say, the fast foods are, the, you know, the Chinese, the Indian, but you also see there are flats on top, don't you? Um, We know that more people rent there on the main roads. More people don't own property. Look, there's some very nice houses on main roads, but generally people don't tend to buy houses on main main roads. So if that's where the air pollution is coming from, then they are going to be the people most affected. It's not just a race thing. It is also a class thing. Mm. And I think it's really important to point that out. It is also a class thing. And we've discussed things like people on universal credit and things like that. Some of them live in appalling housing conditions and some of them are on the main roads. The other thing that I have noticed as well is historically our schools were built on the main roads. So, again, and I worry about developers going forward who continue to build you know with all this research out it's like they, they just don't care a, a bit of land they they just bang a bang a house on there and we have proved now the impacts that air pollution has on people's um health so people are are people are restricted by their budgets so I was just about to say something ridiculous that, that if if you can afford it, don't buy a house near her main road. But you can only go as far as your budget, can't you? And mm-hmm. in London, where prices are astronomical, um, that's what you tend to get. But that's why, by the way, is to do with poor housing conditions. And this came up during COVID anyway. Mm. Well, um, it was interesting reading out on the background to um, the case that this ruling here in the UK Uh, is the first here but actually in Europe there's been a kind of growing awareness of this problem Um, and I saw that three years ago now there'd been a landmark ruling in France that found that the French state had failed to do enough to limit air pollution around Paris leading to a mother Farida and her daughter suffering respiratory problems due to the impact of living near Paris's traffic choked ring road in Saint-Ouen. Now, according to Nadir Safi, the vice president of the organization Ecology Without Borders, 67,000 French people die prematurely each year due to air pollution. Before the pandemic, air pollution was estimated to cause 40,000 early deaths in the UK, about the same number as uh, the official UK uh, death toll for COVID at the t- when I wrote this up. Um, R- Rosamond, who would you say, when you look at the country, is most affected by air pollution? We've obviously talked about inner cities. We've obviously talked about um, people living near main roads. Is it consistently the case that poorer communities are going to be exposed to more air pollution? And why is that? Is it an urban planning problem? Is it, I mean, obviously, we've also talked about the reality that 
housing prices in the capital, but I'm sure this is true probably outside of the capital too, uh, preclude a lot of people from choosing housing that might be nearer greener areas. Is it is it an urban planning problem that 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 causes air pollution to affect some communities more than others? But there is, but we need to be careful because shipping there's air pollution there. If you mm-hmm. go to Hampton, if you look at r- rural um, places, farming, harmonia that's PM 2.5 as well. So there are spots of air pollution, sometimes in places that you wouldn't even expect. Mm. Think that you just move out. And also in Britain, um, I don't know whether it's, it's, it is a class thing or not. Um, let's see what the response is to the podcast. We've got a bit of a, an obsession with wood burning, which mm. is Um, I don't, look, I do understand that I think there are places in Scotland who don't have central heating and therefore I can sympathise for them burning wood. But I think most people in cities now have central heating and I don't really understand the obsession of burning wood. It's terrible. So wood burning is a massive reason and the government really should be getting rid of it. And the reason why France's figures might be slightly higher than the United Kingdom is they have more diesels than we do. So so that's the explanation there, just to let you you know. So France has got slightly higher, more deaths, and that's because generally they have more diesels. Mm. And and I was re- when I was researching some of the stats, I mean, the, the evidence is now quite astounding. I feel even compared to when you and I spoke a, a few years ago, you know, and I remember going back and having a little look and there wasn't all that much, actually. And then now I came across all this information, you know, that black Londoners are more likely to be exposed to toxic air with black children 4.2 percent more likely to be hospitalized due to exposure to high levels of nitrogen dioxide pollution than anywhere else in the country. Black and other minorities are at least twice as likely to be deprived of green spaces compared to the person in the UK. Yeah, can I just add on that? Rural rural, uh, places, there's only 5% of ethnic minorities that live there. I also researched that to find out. So that might explain why as as well. Um, We tend to to be more in cities. So Mm -hmm. that saying something carry on I'm finding this absolutely fascinating well I mean you know I'm you you know all of this more than I do but you know minorities in the UK and US are now known to generally experience high levels of air pollution and there's growing evidence around the world linking exposure to dirty air to increase COVID infections and deaths so I wanted to ask you in light of that why did the recent Public Health England review not consider air pollution as a factor in the higher rates of coronavirus deaths among minority ethnic groups why do you think I'm hopefully going to change that I have just spoken to Kevin Fenton who's the regional director in London and I have asked him there's going to be a public inquiry um, about COVID Mm. and the data is emerging and by the time the public inquiry starts even if I'm not here now anymore, because we don't know with COVID. When I say that, people just go, oh, I thought, calm down. But I have made sure that air pollution is going to be one of those factors, because what air pollution does, it weakens the immune system. Mm -hmm. So when you put a respiratory virus in it, look, COVID is always going to be a multiple of factors, even from vitamin D, housing conditions. 
I am talking about the period, though, before the vaccine, in case people start going, they don't take the vaccine. No, no, I'm talking about 2020 when there was no vaccine. Mm. Uh, Black, Asian and other minorities were um, four times more likely to die from COVID. And what the reason why I am really hedging with air pollution is there were a significant number of doctors that went back um, to practice and they ended up dying. Yes. Uh, now, people will say that's because they were at the front facing. That's one reason why people will say that. But I am interested in what their immune systems were like. Mm-hmm. And the other people that were really caught as well were bus drivers. Yeah. Interested in. I think um, in quotes, those filthy things they have to sit in all day, inhaling all that. So that's one reason. And taxi drivers. So people who did um, those type of driving j- jobs. And it's just speculation and like a hypothesis, but I'm I'm sure in time, so people will add other risk factors like obesity, diet. I understand all that, but I do think air pollution should have been looked at. So I have now asked going forward at the public inquiry, could air pollution be one of those factors? So that is the answer to that question. I can't answer why it wasn't. Yes. But I would like to hope and I will um, now that I have mentioned it and it's been documented, um, hopefully it will be part of the future inquiry. So I have made sure that is we're not sure what's going to come out of it. But Mariam, I think what people should be aware is there is more and more and more data coming out about COVID all the time. So Mm. hopefully by the time the inquiry starts, there will be enough data then. There's data all the time. And we know there is because we've seen Sir Witty um, show us data constantly. Uh, even mm-hmm. Omicron, they haven't really caught up with all the data yet. So I don't know when the inquiry is starting, but by then. And also, I think it will explain the severity also of COVID. So I'm hoping to get a few papers out of that really when that happens but yeah it's something when I looked at what happened to my to my daughter so what I mean by that is she was in the top 10% of healthy children in this country and the way COVID ripped through not COVID air pollution ripped through her body and like those people she ended up in ICU five times and Mm -hmm. there is some the reason why I am interested there are some Ella didn't have a virus. I understand that. But there are some commonalities between correlation between her condition and patients of COVID, you know, the whole breathing. And interesting, Ella was ill for 28 months and COVID started. I mean, I think the first case was in January or February, but it was March when we first went into lockdown. Mm -hmm. So can you see it's coming up to two years now? And it's interesting, Ella lasted for 28 uh, months. And I do recall at, at the beginning when people were thinking this is going to be over, I knew this was going to be a long stretch. What it has allowed me, it is, I have such admiration for my daughter now. I have watched how people have suffered. And when um, in the last 48 hours, been listening to the radio a lot, when people were talking about Partygate, but what I wasn't, that wasn't my focus. It was Mm. the bringing in, and how much they had suffered. And I remember saying when it started, oh my goodness me, we are heading for a nervous breakdown in this country. And just hearing 
when people come on the radio and people are not being able to say, I was privileged. Every time my daughter was in hospital, I could go with her. And isn't that a strange thing to say that now? But listening to the people who haven't been able to go to funerals, who haven't been able to cuddle their loved ones. And I, I will always remember the 13-year-old boy in Brixton who, who died. See, I still remember him. Don't remember his name, but I remember him. He died on his own and he was buried on, on his own because his parents had COVID and they couldn't even go to his funeral. And these things really stick with, with you. But especially the last 48 hours, I've been listening to people and they sort of sound like me when, you know, the complete stress, the heartbreak, the devastation. And I do think they need to set up some counselling lines. I don't know whether they have or not. I don't know. But I think they need to be, you know, 150,000 people dying. That is someone's grand, someone's granddad, mom, dad, uncle, brother, sister. That is a lot of people in, in it's not even two years yet. So that is my concern. The And also, that is even before we discussed long COVID. We haven't even discussed long COVID. Mm. So I do not like this whole thing as if when people say, oh, we need to learn to live with it and things like that. Learning to live with someone who has died is just heartbreaking. And I do worry. I mean, when I looked at the figures in New Zealand and Australia, because of what was going on with the whole tennis thing, I, I just looked up their figures because they have very strict things. And I thought, let me see how many people have died in this country. And 51 people have died in New Zealand. God rest their souls. But when you compare that to 150,000, and Australia, I was really interested in, 2,300 yeah. had died. So, yeah, um, I don't know how we're going to cope um, long-term with it. Um, the only thing I know about a virus is, uh, viruses can continue to mutate so let's just keep our our fingers crossed I think we kind of are wishing this to be over rather yeah. than dealing with it now and I do want to say on your podcast especially to young people who are listening um, that if you need help please seek, seek help because young people has I'm not saying everyone hasn't suffered but specifically young young people have suffered enormously and there is a lot of help out there and I I I it's my plea to them if they feel at loss because there's been some suicides very not directly but through friends and friends of young people um who have committed suicide and the reason why people say why them because I used to be a head of year and a head of sixth form and pastoral care is really really important so if there are young people who feel desperate there are always, you know, there's Childline, there are the Samaritans, and you damn well are worth it, and you really mustn't. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Thanks for, for saying that. I mean, we, um, we we obviously talked a bit about COVID now, but it does feel like air pollution and COVID can no longer be thought of as sort of separate problems. You know, we're not going to tackle the health issues, that the health emergency, I guess, that's been sparked by COVID um, and the pressure it's placed on our health services without 
touching on the wider situation. And, you know, as I was writing this, I was going back to, you know, the the, the BLM protest last year and George Floyd's last words, you know, I can't breathe. And the extent to which that takes on a whole new meaning today when we think about the fact that, you know, the inequalities that led to his death and what people will point to policing, but are, why, are part of a much wider web well, of inequalities. Yeah, it's very sad for me. I mean... I can't breathe is something my daughter said to me often. So there's the link there. I can't breathe is something I have heard quite often. Um, that's what people say. I can't breathe. I, I, I can't breathe, mum. So mm. um, I, I can't imagine what life was like for him. But Ella described it as an elephant standing on her on her chest when you can't breathe. And for me, it was absolutely shocking to watch someone and she used to have things called hypoxic seizures and which is a lack of oxygen to her brain and she had to be constantly resuscitated so the words I, I can't breathe mean they're closer to home than and I used to get like a lump in my throat when the BLM movement, um, I would watch people on the TV or young people, especially chanting those words. I used to, you, you know, when you get goose pimples, that that's the impact that kind of had on me because that's what my daughter used to say. And I imagine all those COVID patients that because we need to remember, COVID is a respiratory virus, and the reason they put people in ICU is to support them with their breathing. We don't talk about all these issues, but that's ultimately what it is. So those words, I can't breathe, would have been said by quite a lot of people, um, yeah, in the last two years. And and I, and I know that in the past you've been quoted as saying that some people will say air pollution in itself is racism because, yet again, it disproportionately affects black people, uh, COVID-19 has just made it more obvious. What would you say that our air pollution problem tells us about the state of racial inequality in this country? Well, looking at the environment movement, I mean, there's a saying, the environment is all white anyway. And I think COVID gave me a awakening because before COVID, you go to all these conferences and webinars and you chat to people and you think you're on, on the same page. No, 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 no. People are very selfish, as I have learned during COVID. So what people wanted was clean air for them. And it's very, very political. I call it clean air for votes because there are people who are able to influence um, our councillors, our system. Look, everyone now knows, and partly due to my daughter, that breathing dirty air is bad for you. So they don't want that outside their house. Who votes? Who, are, who is the government interested in? Homeowners. They are incredibly powerful. And one of the reasons why I've been so vocal about the low traffic neighbourhood, I am not falling for the, it is trying to discourage people from driving. So why then would you block off roads and move it to the poorer areas or the main roads where the people there were already disproportionately affected? And then say to me, oh, by doing this, the air is cleaner for everyone. No, 
what has happened now? By the way, this practice, environmental racism, it's not unique to LTNs or to this country. People need to look further afield. It is everywhere. The States is an interesting one. Where, or, or even the UK, incinerators, people need to look where they are. So I am not fooled by the, we're doing this, or people came out and said things like, we want our children to be playing on the streets. A lot of those people who said that, they have gardens anyway. Mm. Or there are parks nearby. No, what you wanted is, you wanted to own your car, because you can afford it but you didn't want other people to drive in your neighborhood and mm. for some reason when you speak truth it really really upsets people look what's happened in london the whole place is congested yesterday the mayor of london said due to research in 2021 london is now the most congested city in the world why would london be the most congested city because they've blocked off all the roads all the roads where all these homeowners are, and they've moved the traffic. And people like me, we are not fooled by it. And that's because these people are incredibly powerful. They vote. This is all about this is all about votes. And the reason why I'm very vocal is yesterday I was in Lewisham and I went to the Mayan cabinet meeting and they have now made the low traffic neighborhood permanent in my in my neighborhood and what that has done is it has moved even more traffic onto the south circular which is the road which is responsible for my daughter's death even when i showed up with medical evidence to show them this is affecting her siblings do you think they were interested absolutely not wow. and all people can say to me is you need to move so they're not really interested so this is very political. I don't think it's got, it might do with clean air, but it's clean air for some. It's not clean air for all. It's not clean air for those who are worse impacted already. If they were really, really interested about equality, they would tackle the areas which had the worst pollution first. They haven't. Hmm. So that is where we find ourselves in 2022 and people in my neighborhood sometimes say you have educated i.e me everybody about the detrimental impact of air pollution and look now what's happened the middle classes have now decided we don't want this but they also don't want to give up their cars and the reason why i say that is electric vehicle sales are now 21 percent of the market and you and i have just talked about this we know, sorry, it is electric vehicles and hybrids. Mm. But no, it's not the poorer people who are buying them. And yesterday, the mayor said congestion is almost back to where it was before pre-pandemic levels. And wow. yet, more people are working from home. And I still think even some of the people working from home, they must be nipping out in their cars. Because if you're working from home, I'm not sure how many... People are working from home, but everywhere is gridlock. If you're in, in London, now yeah. you can pretend it's not going on, but this is a public health crisis that is going on. And I can't remember the figure, it was definitely over 8 million, of waiting lists. People, and it's very easy to blame um, COVID. It's not all COVID. 
Some of it is going to be some of the illnesses that I mentioned to you, cardiovascular, respiratory, that's all air pollution. And that's why you will see it will affect black Asians and other ethnic minorities more. They're bearing the brunt of it because it has weakened their immune system. This isn't controversial, by the way. Inequality mm. in health, I did that in my master's, what, 1996? Where I don't know how many years ago that is now. This is not a surprise. And I don't know when I mention it, people get up in arms about it. There are books about this topic, mm-hmm. race, um, diversity, inequality. Yeah. People just, um, was it the, there's something called the the Marmot um, Report or something. Um, if I remember, I, I was sent, I think that's how you pronounce his name. It's all laid bare there. Mm. So I don't see why people are getting upset with me when I'm just reporting what is happening in society but I wish people wouldn't pretend and I I wish people wouldn't declare a climate emergency then put in policies that make it even worse for a fraction of society and then Mm. when you challenge them about it they claim that's not what they're doing when everyone can see with their own eyes I I mean you, you, you know, you raised basically this point already, but for, for just so we have some of the, the figures on it, I know the areas that have almost no black and minority residents have six times as many parks as places where more than 40% of the population are black and other minority uh, backgrounds. If all types of public green spaces, not just parks that looked at, the difference is 11 times. So clearly there is a huge differential. Oh, in- please send me that. I didn't know that. Please yeah, email me that. I'll really send you that. Also, Mariam, I also believe this is partly historic. So mm. what I mean by that is um, people from my community came here in the 50s and 60s. And I don't think that's really gone away where they were put. And I don't know whether that is still going on historically. And the reason why I say that is remember I gave you the figure of rural areas there's only five percent of ethnic i checked yeah. that but i had to double check it i was going surely not there's more but yeah. um but also maybe it's i'm just trying to think about culturally um my parents wanted me to do well better than them i can see why they came to urban places is where jobs are do you see what some cities are are where jobs are yeah um, I'm just trying to think of some of the reasons for it. Why, why we settle where we, why we settle where we settle. Yeah. We also like to be with, in quotes, our our own kind to feel mm. to feel comfortable because there is such a set uh, such a thing as racism. You don't want to be living in a in a neighbourhood where you are suffering from racial abuse, or you don't want to be the only person in that neighbourhood. So there is all. There's nothing wrong with it, by the way. Sometimes I kind of worry that when you open your mouth, sometimes everything is taken negatively. People Mm. will always congregate. That's what, you know, from a social psychology point of view, there are always studies that show these things. But when you mention them, there seems to be this um, outcry. I always say to people, look, I'm British and and Ghanaian, and I am incredibly proud. I was born and and bred here. So... I have no axe to um, grind. And yes, I have su- suffered racism over my career because I was in teaching. Then I had to, when my daughter was ill, I had to deal with the health service. And now, then I had to deal with the legal service. Then now I have to deal with the environment. So mm-hmm. I recognise racism in all these things. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still positive. 
um, and I teach my children to be positive about it. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't speak about it. And no, I don't have a chip on my my shoulder. Absolutely not. It's mm-hmm. just you wanted to be treat you want to be treated equally. That's all I'm saying. So no one's moaning. And when I mention, I don't want people to put me in a category of, oh, she's going on about racism. No, it's just that, look, when I was a head of year, my most challenging group that I wanted them to do well was white working class boys. I felt they had been abandoned by society. And if my Bermondsey boys are going to be, if they ever come across this podcast, Miss D says hi, but I battled for them. Because, again, I realised that society, you know, they were being left behind. So I'm not there saying this is all a a black Asian or a thing. No, white working class boys were being left behind in education. That's what I'm talking about. And And if people are honest, they will admit it. But we need to talk about these things. We can't pretend they are not going on. And... Um, as long as people don't mind me talking about them, I'm going to continue to do so. And we will gladly listen, Rosamond. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to take you now, if you will, to our quick fire round. So uh, quick questions. Are ready for this? Quick answers, yes. Um, what is your definition of whiteness? Structural racism and inequality. What is the root of racism? Um, it's a learned behavior unfortunately we are all born we don't have a racist bone in 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 our body and unfortunately we actually learn this and probably i have to give my foster mum credit who was white and therefore she brought me up with really good morals to treat everyone equally and maybe that's why i am different and race doesn't bother me as much as some others maybe what is the opposite of whiteness Equality. (laughs) Is there such a thing as a post-racial world in your view? And is that universalist ideal ever achievable or even desirable? Oh, this is like a teaching moment. (laughs) This is like a teaching. It is possible, but I don't think it's going to be in my lifetime. I hope it's going to be in my children's lifetime because I absolutely love them to bits. And I want things to be easier for them. Unfortunately, I think racism will always be there. I don't really get, I just don't really get why people are bothered by the colour of people's skin. If you cut me, I can go to the hospital and give blood and they can give it to some. I just don't get people's obsession, by the way. But for my children's sake, I hope one day there will be no more racism. But mm, not sure on that one. Is whiteness a useful conceptual tool in conversations on anti-racism? We should always have conversa- uh, conversations. I don't really believe in silencing um, people. Uh, look, I understand council co- culture, but what I say to people, if, for example, the likes of me say something to offend someone, it will only be accidental. And I believe in education. I don't believe in censorship, but what well, I'm... Psychology is my my specialism, so I don't believe in censorship, and I do, I keep your enemies close. <laughs> I think it's best if I just leave it there. Um, very close indeed. 
And lastly, for people who are listening who are feeling concerned by air pollution inequality, what are maybe two or three things everybody can do to make a difference on this issue? Ah, if you have a car, please switch off your engine. Don't idle. It is against the the law. There is air pollution goes up by 50% when it is on the school run. For people who live near busy streets, if you can, I know I'm so London centric, I do apologise, but there are always, you can turn left, you can turn right, get off the main road, seriously, as soon as you can. And also, oh my goodness, stop burning that wood. It's carcinogenic. And also it doesn't just stay in your house. If some, if your next door neighbour is recovering from COVID and you're burning wood, the smoke Please be compassionate, be kind, think about other people. We shouldn't always think about ourselves. So that would be my three things to do with air pollution. Oh, and if you can, there's been research that shows people are willing to walk up to two, up to two miles. Where you can, on short journeys, please walk. Thank you so much, uh, Rosamond, Adukisa, Deborah. Uh, if people want to connect with you and your work, your ideas, the campaigns that you lead, where should they go? Is there a website? There is. It is www.ellaroberta.org or at Ella Roberta Foundation on Twitter. And when you generally put in Ella Roberta, there are lots of articles that come up um, about her i'm going to continue my work as a brief life ambassador that involves the world bank who so i hope to take my message globally after cop but please there is going to be a public consultation on pm 2.5 um, to do with the coroner's recommendations it will be coming out in february or march and please all the public need to engage with it. And just before I go, my late daughter would have been 18 on the 24th of January, on the 23rd at 3.30 in Mansfield Park, SE6 in Catford, 3.30, we're going to hold a candlelight vigil in her memory. Um, so anyone who would like to come and remember her or remember someone in your life, as we discuss over the past, um, coming up to two years, who has passed away, please bring a candle and come and join us. That that just came into me. Don't have to do it just for Ella. Come and remember the people we have lost in, you know, the 150,000. And it's just prompted me when I'm doing a Bible reading to mention them at the beginning. So if you're in Lewisham or you can get to Lewisham, Hither Green is the nearest station and it's Mansfield Park. And if you ask anyone, they should be able to direct you. We're going to start promptly at 3.30, though. And Mariam, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to your audience. It is a pleasure indeed. It's great speaking to someone who's well informed with mm -hmm. her research. That, that, that is a pleasure. And kindly send me the link. And especially if there's any feedback you get that you feel I need to know. And I'll leave my email if anyone wants to email me and get in contact. It's info at ellaroberta.org. 
Thank you so much, Rosamond. It's been a pleasure having you on the programme. Um, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode of We Need to Talk About Whiteness. Do please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud and join us next time for more conversations on whiteness. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Take care.